Welcome back, listeners, to Our Rights Stories, the podcast that explores the topic of human rights in Scotland, what they are, why they are important, and the value of their universality. A new series produced and delivered by Just Right Scotland's team with your host, Natalia. Today's episode is a continuation from our first episode that explored the impact of the so-called illegal migration bill for those in Scotland. With our guest, Andy Sorrell, the legal director at Just Right Scotland, responsible for our Scottish Refugee Migrant Center and our Scottish Anti-Trafficking and Exploitation Center, along with Graham O'Neill, Policy Manager at the Scottish Refugee Council. Last we left off, Andy had described the reality of this bill, the impact it has on Scottish law, and on survivors of human trafficking and unaccompanied children. So let's jump back in. Graham, given the reality that was described and the impacts this has on trafficking, is there anything else that you would like to add? I mean, there's kind of two things, in my, two things in my mind. Um, the first is like just asking ourselves, like in this room, and people listening, who are the baddies here? Mm. And I'll come back to that in a second, and and then following for what Andy says about you know, just picture that scene. You know, I've seen it. We've all seen it. We've all heard it. We have government ministers talking about you know smashing. It's very aggressive language. Smashing, breaking the business model of traffickers. Mm. Um, and exploiters and those that control people in vulnerable predicaments. And exploitation thrives in around the abuse of people in vulnerable predicaments, uh, people that have been pushed to the, the margins of society. And that's what this bill is doing. It's it's um, it's it's kinda like putting kind of rocket fuel behind a kinda a kind of Basically, what's been today, you know, uh, a real motoring towards through various asylum and immigration legislation under the kind of the term hostile environment in the UK, um, the systemic removal of people's rights mm. and making life incredibly and needlessly difficult for those that. That, that really need those rights. So, you know, we at Scottish Refugee Council work with people seeking asylum eh, and we've seen this erosion in what the right to asylum is and how it's experienced, never mind trying to access it. So, you know, when people seek asylum in the UK, they go into no choice, increasingly institutionalised forms of accommodation. They go into eh, UK state-sanctioned severest possible poverty within the UK. So we're talking people getting £1.30 a day or £6 a day, eh, depending upon what type of accommodation they're in. We're seeing huge amounts of public money. As Andy said, you know, in, in the kind of comments to describe what this bill is, wasteful, you know, and that mm. made me think immediately about, you know, the fact we've got about 2.5 to 3 billion pounds a year. Mm. Just think of that, 2.5, that's 1,000 million pounds, is 1 billion, so like 3,000 million pounds has been spent, 3 billion a year on asylum accommodation alone. Mm-hmm. And about 99% of that 3 billion pounds a year doesn't go to the benefit of local communities or local public services, or certainly not refugees, because they'll get one pound thirty a day or six pound a day, depending on what type of accommodation they're in. It, 
So we have a we have a very very powerful vested interests at the moment running the UK asylum system in their interests in their image, and in so doing contorting what it's supposed to be, which is supposed to be a system of safety and a system of protection. But what actually is happening is it's became a business. Mm-hmm. So when I was saying earlier on about asking ourselves who are the baddies here. We need to, in my view, in our view at Scottish Refugee Council, look at that laterally, look at that in a broad sense. We think part of the baddies here are certainly the Home Office. We also think part of the baddies here are the companies mm-hmm. that are uh, that are running this system as it is at the moment. That people, 55,000 people at the moment, are in institutional forms of accommodation, up from uh, 1,500 people about three years ago. Whereas people in communities, like what's often the jargon called dispersal accommodation, the procurement of that type of accommodation is largely flatlined. And only this week, we're seeing in in England, the suspension, postponement of essential licensing rules, requirements around houses of multiple occupancy, HMOs. Mm -hmm. Basically, the UK government saying to rogue landlords, if you want to get involved in housing asylum seekers, come to us, come to our companies, be it Clear Springs or Circle or Mears of the free accommodation contractors, and we'll see if we can do a deal. So what we've really got here is a hyper-institutionalisation, hyper-commercialisation of the asylum system, most visible within the asylum accommodation part of the system. And... That's not in any way responsible way to treat people who are coming from countries like Sudan and Iran and Eritrea and Afghanistan and so on. But that is what has been happening. Mm-hmm. So part of the baddies here are the people that are currently running the system. Part of the other baddies which is more recognised as are those that run organised crime groups. And they, looking at this, as Andy says, will be thinking, this is a win for us. We are now getting tens of thousands of people in the UK or trying to come to the UK to seek safety, who actually, the UK government's telling them, and therefore telling us, as organised criminals, come to us. So the question, going back to who are the baddies, Mm -hmm. well, actually, the baddies across this whole asylum system and particularly as a result of this so-called illegal migration bill are the ones who are the most powerful that is politically commercially as well as those who are organized crime groups and that's like some people might find that quite a controversial take to understand mm-hmm. or accept and that's fine but i think it needs to be made because as i said the depth of irresponsibility within this legislation necessitates us as a human rights charity at Scottish Refugee Council to be making these points. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't make these points, we're not confident, apart from organisations like Just Right Scotland and others, that they will be made. Mm-hmm. The gravity of what is happening here is profoundly grim, mm-hmm. both historical context as well as in terms of what it means for people's human rights, ability to be safe, as well as the wider impacts upon communities. 
One of my friends said to me the other day, and this was the most beautifully simple way to put it. He he said, uh, the, the, uh, I read that you know they're looking to remove people to Rwanda, and that's the way to stop uh, smugglers and traffickers. I said, yeah, that's what they say. And he said, uh, but the smugglers and traffickers don't care about what happens to them. And I said, yes, yes, that's correct. <laughs> and he's like, so Absolutely. how's it going to work? And I said, uh, well, it won't. Mm. That's why. <laughs> and this is just one of my pals. He's an engineer. You know, like he just heard that and saw it and was very clear on it. So I don't even know whether there's public support for it, you know, apart mm. from the, you know, the winding up uh, of people in other ways. But in, in in that sense, it's quite it's quite simple, you know. Yeah. No, absolutely. I completely agree. And I mean, I feel like the general public can, if we can figure this out, I mean, sooner or later, (laughs) you would hope. Um, But kind of going back, Graham, I know that the Scottish Refugee Council has submitted a briefing to MSPs on the UK government illegal migration bill and what Scotland must do now. Could you explain why it's called the Refugee Ban Bill by organizations across the UK? Yeah, thanks. It was, I think as Andy kind of eloquently said early on, in the chat that the the bill is effectively abolishing the ability to have an asylum claim considered within the UK and if you can't have an asylum claim considered then you don't have a right to asylum that's recognised by the UK and that's what this bill's uh, rightly been described by the UN Refugee Agency on its introduction uh, as an asylum ban and that means, logically, but really, really with reluctance, you know, we and many other organisations have have described it as a refugee ban bill. As we've touched on, it's also a trafficking yeah. protection ban bill. And actually, more broadly, um, it's, it's ruthlessly penalising any form of irregular arrival, no matter what people's reasons for that arrival mm-hmm. are, as well. So it goes beyond mm. people who are seeking or would want to be seeking safety, asylum in the UK, or people who desperately need that recognition in the UK as survivors of trafficking. It goes beyond that and therefore it's a deeply isolationist, insular uh, piece of legislation statement, if you like, that the UK government are saying to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's very much in that strain of you know, what I think we saw in terms of the UK government's posture towards the European Union through the Brexit process and then the negotiations after that process. Uh, So it's the UK kind of turning its back on its international responsibilities uh, and doing it in terms of some of the most vulnerable people in, in the world. And it's also the UK turning its back eh, on the people within the the UK itself who are already in the system. Mm-hmm. Eh, so I, I suppose it's the refugee ban bill felt sadly a really appropriate term to use mm-hmm. to describe in a kind of neat, accessible way to the wider public that this is what the UK government are, are doing. And they might describe it as in the terms that they would like people to accept, but the actual facts of what it's doing is that it's banning refugee 
mm-hmm. within, and they, they just don't want refugees. Is it the bottom line here? The UK government don't want refugees, uh, and they also don't want to protect people who have suffered trafficking and slavery. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. You know, this is used because the UK doesn't want refugees. But I also think, I think they just want to be selective with their refugees. And I feel like in this kind of sense, when I see legislation like this, it does take me back to the US where you do put like really hard, they don't make sense. They won't practically work legislations, but it does kind of build like a wider gap. And I, yeah, I just, I think it's one of those things I, it's kind of interesting that they're having readings on this bill still. And I understand that the CEO of the Scottish Refugee Council has asked for this bill to be scrapped in its entirety. Um, Could you elaborate and explain a little bit more on that position? Yeah, so, you know, the the bill needs to be scrapped in its entirety because at its rotten core, it has the duty to remove regime. So it penalises ruthlessly how somebody's arrived in the country and requires the UK state to not consider any other aspect of that person's life. So it doesn't matter if somebody's a woman that's fleeing sexual violence, mm-hmm. doesn't matter if somebody's a trafficking survivor fleeing forced labour, doesn't matter if it's somebody that's coming from Sudan or Iran or Afghanistan and other very troubled parts of the world at the moment. The UK state is willfully requiring itself through this bill not to consider anything other than how somebody's arrived. And of course, people cannot arrive in the UK unless they're here in the UK Mm -hmm. to seek asylum. Uh, So there's no way to come to the UK and apply for asylum without without, um, without first first getting here. So the bill at the Rotten Code Bill is a duty to remove Mm -hmm. regime, and then that, that means that it's impossible to not get rid of the bill completely because if you take a little bit out of different parts of the legislation but you leave the duty to remove requirement in place mm-hmm. then all that's going to happen is that you go around shave around the edges of what is a fairly brutal piece of legislation so it is either or you just neither need to get rid of the legislation or you need to try and mitigate it as best you possibly can, at least at the UK level. And in Scotland, I think we can do a little bit more than that because of some of the devolved powers we have. And we also have a more progressive political consensus mm-hmm. around what we can do to help people who are seeking refugee protection or are suffering other forms of, of uh, human rights abuse. So... In Scotland, the first thing that we have done is we've rejected through our Scottish Parliament, we've made a kind of political statement that we rejected the illegal migration bill, so-called, and that's valuable. Uh, hopefully there'll be uh, a statement that comes soon from the Scottish Parliament, the Scottish Government, to refuse legislative consent to the bill. It would have been nice if the UK Government had asked the <laughs> Scottish <laughs> Government, the Scottish <laughs> Parliament, in the first place, but they haven't, again, mm-hmm. asked that question. So we will make, hopefully, that statement within the coming weeks and months. But it can't just stop at statements of opposition because statements of opposition don't actually help people 
who are suffering severe human rights abuse. Mm -hmm. So we need the Scottish Government to, in our view at Scottish Refugee Council, develop urgently and collaboratively a humanitarian strategy to bring together the very good strategies we've got across a range mm-hmm. of issues in Scotland already. So the new Scottish Refugee Integration Strategy, the Human Trafficking Exploitation Strategy, the Ending Migrant Destitution Strategy and Mental Health, Child Poverty and so on. Bring them together under a humanitarian plan to actually maximise our devolved policy competences in our public services and our charities to try and make sure that we still see and therefore still help the people, that is refugees and trafficking survivors, that this so-called illegal migration bill wants to render invisible. Mm -hmm. Those are the people they want to push to the margins and as we, we know that means they'll be met at the margins by those who are minded to exploit them. Um, We also need to see some concrete measures taken by the Scottish Government and approved by the Scottish Parliament within devolved legal competences. So the one that we would emphasise here is that we in Scotland should be articulating and developing our own human trafficking identification and decision-making system to wrap around the existing world-leading survivor trafficking survivor rights that we have in our Human Trafficking and Exploitation Scotland Act Mm -hmm. and therein constituting an end-to-end Scottish anti-trafficking process. We think that that is not only possible within devolved competences, we actually think it may well be required if Scottish ministers and other Scottish public authorities, such as Police Scotland, such as the Crown Office and Procurator Fiscal Service, are themselves to act compatibly with their European Convention on Human Rights responsibilities, specifically the positive anti-trafficking duties that flow from Article 4, which is the European Convention on Human Rights protection against slavery, servitude and human trafficking, those responsibilities, those positive obligations are clear. We think that the illegal migration bill, if it's not challenged in Scotland and elsewhere, will drag public bodies across the UK, including in Scotland, into a quagmire of illegality. Mm. And that would create the perverse situation that those public bodies, such as Scottish Government, such as Police Scotland, such as the Crown Office, who have been put into an invidious position in terms of human rights and protecting some of those vulnerable people by this illegal migration bill, will actually be, um, be, as Andy said earlier, will actually be in a position where they're getting required to violate the European Convention on Human Rights. So we do want to see Scotland and the Scottish Government specifically, hopefully led by the First Minister, to lead the development of an end-to-end Scottish anti-trafficking system. We think it can be done, and we at Scottish Refugee Council think that it may need to be done not only to protect survivors, which is the most important reason, but we think also to maintain Scotland's 
compliance with the European Convention on Human mm-hmm. Rights in terms of anti-slavery obligations. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Everything you guys are saying, it sounds like there needs to be like a really big coalition to kind of fight against this bill. And luckily enough, uh, Just Right Scotland and the Scottish Refugee Council have launched a campaign to reject the refugee ban bill with over 100 organizations across the third sector and civil societies who have signed and joined this national campaign. And I think this in general is just so important to start, you know, getting more information out about there. And also double check our show notes because we will include links to this campaign for more information to follow it, to share it, to see how you can get more involved. Um, Because, I mean, this is a a difficult topic. And this is a kind of topic like no matter how you tackle it, it is always kind of a downer. It's going to make you feel (laughs) like emotionally drained. And it's it's weird because it's like you're learning so much, but the stuff you're learning isn't giving you much hope. Um, so before we wrap up, um, I just want to, you know, thank you both for being here, but if you could just kind of give like some words of hope to our listeners as like a fighter or, you know, fighting for justice in Scotland, you know, maybe three words, three words of hope from each of you. (laughs) Okay, three words. Three words. Um, wow, that's, that's, uh, I, I do, I do have hope, um, I think that there, my three words would be strength in numbers, I would say. Okay. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, and I, I, I do have hope. I, I, I do not think the pe- people in Scotland want it, want this bill. Uh, I, I think there are serious legal problems with it. J- Just Right Scotland are definitely going to, if possible, uh, you know, look to litigate uh, areas in order to try and stop the the rot uh, and and uh, reinstall some of the humanity into the legal system, uh, and I think if people make their voices heard, mm. you know, organisations, people uh, in in the public, uh, if we make our voices heard, then then you know, uh, it it can be stopped. I think it, it, we need to retain that hope. Mm. Graham, yeah, I'm not sure I can quite do three words. <laughs> um, but what I would say is that we need to think about the fact that this bill probably doesn't have the public consent that Suella Braverman and others around her mm. would have people believe. The second thing I would say is that it certainly doesn't have it in Scotland. Uh, we have a political consensus which has no real problem with migration and is actually quite proud of refugee protection. Mm-hmm. In Glasgow, we have a city which has had people seeking asylum, seeking safety for a generation, and it's became something which is part of the city's identity. Mm-hmm. So that's important that there's a lot of, we think in Scotland and in Glasgow, consent and support for people who come here seeking safety uh, and they become part of our society. I suppose the third thing is just to think about the timeline here, is that this bill may well become an act. We've got to be realistic, it may well become an act and it may be brought into effect by July, some point this summer. But we also have a general election within the next year and a half. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows how that will go. But of course, we are looking at the statements from some of the main parties 
as the bill goes through its Westminster process. And from what we can see, that it could well be that if there is a change of government at the UK level, basically as long as it's from a speaking for Scottish Refugee Council, if it's not the Conservatives, because what the Conservatives are doing to refugee rights is in complete conflict with our charitable objectives, so we're, we're very comfortable to say, and we've said it directly to senior Conservatives at the UK and Scottish level, that we think what they're doing is dreadful. So we'll say it here as well. So given that we have a general election coming, and we hope, as Scottish Refugee Council, that the current Conservative government, because of what they're doing, they're, they're extinguishing refugee protection by all intents and purposes in the UK, then we hope that if there is a change of government, and it's not the Conservatives, that hopefully that will mean that this rotten piece of legislation doesn't get its kind of tentacles into not only the lives of people who need safety, but also into our systems, our, our, uh, our policies, mm-hmm. and hopefully it'll be something that, in not getting its kind of like tentacles into uh, UK and Scottish governance and not into the lives of people, it'll actually something that hopefully will become just something that we we think that was a short dreadful nightmare and (laughs) we can all wake up and we can all wake up and we can get something which is much more sensible which having an accessible swift asylum decision making system Mm -hmm. people live in communities people can live their lives again as people they can shed the refugee label off their backs and just get back to the people they were before they had to flee the dreadful circumstances that they did. That's what we want to see, and that's what we hope will happen. So hopefully two or five years from now, we will just be remembering that dreadful nightmare and saying, let's never go back to that again. I love that. Well, thank you both for joining today in our first podcast and for Just Right Scotland and Scottish Refugee Council make sure to follow their social media to keep going with this campaign and you know yeah again thank you guys both so much because even just the amount that I learned I'm still kind of stunned but (laughs) (laughs) but I you know you give me hope that you know part of this community and this organization in Scotland it's what I always thought when I was first going to move to Scotland is like, no, they're welcoming people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you guys do embody that in what you do. And thank you so much for Thanks joining. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank, you. thank you. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode. Same as last time, make sure to take some time to reflect, but to also take care of yourself. But just remember to never lose hope. There are so many organizations across Scotland and across the UK that are fighting awful bills like this. Find out more about this campaign and the good work that Just Right Scotland and the Scottish Refugee Council do. Visit their websites and social media. Don't forget to like, share, and comment Our Right Stories podcast. And we'll see you next time.